In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 255. That's right. We're doing a kind of a weird one, a cool one and a weird one, uh, kind of. Uh, a long time ago, a long time ago, a while episodes back, we said that there was something kind of cool and unique, a short episode, but something cool and unique coming up. This is that episode. <laughs> it's just, it got pushed back because of, I think, I think it was just timing on the stuff that we wanted to get out based on like other things we like, you know. The Civil War episode we wanted relatively close to the movie, and and so on and so forth. There were certain things that needed to be out at certain times based on some of the things we wanted to do, and it just kept getting pushed back. But we do have something for you. We have two things for you. First and foremost, we are going to be doing a bit of um, flashback for you. Um, So you guys and... (laughs) Since they can't respond to me, Mark, I'll ask you. Do you guys are aka Mark? Do you remember Power Records? Yes. Okay. So obviously, Power Records are something that are a little before my time, but I do know of them. I have heard a lot of the audio from the Power Records. But basically, what Power Records were is think of it like uh, short, short stories featuring various characters. It's an audio drama kind of um, on vinyl. Uh, typically on vinyl. Uh, and basically, you know, there were adventures of like a su- lot of Superman ones, a lot of Spider-Man ones, a um, couple of Batman ones, but there was never a Green Lantern one. There never was. However, a friend of mine, uh, well, I, I don't want to say a friend of mine because he, he's a good guy, but I don't particularly know him. He's just kind of through the Fire and Water Network and you know, podcasting friends and stuff like that, kind of that that, that uh, network I've built up. He posted an image of this album, and it was and by album I mean vinyl, an album, uh, and it had a picture of Aquaman, Flash, and Green Lantern on it. Well, I have looked all over the place for a, a Power Records version of Green Lantern's origin or something like that, and I never found anything. Well, I saw this and I immediately jumped on it. And the guy supplied me with the MP3 audio. So we are going to be playing that audio tonight. Now, this is copyright 1967 from a company called Leo the Lion Records. Uh, I'm trying to give as much credit to the company as I can. It's been it was out in the 19 the late 60s. So I really doubt there's anybody out there who's going to be <laughs> coming after us for representing this audio <laughs> without uh, approval. But uh, just in case they're out there, everybody, shh, 
Don't tell anybody. Ixnay <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the record A. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, it was a, a gentleman named Robert Ward who got me all this information. So, but what was weird is on the cover, you see Aquaman, Flash, and Green Lantern, and it's Hal and it's Barry. But you listen to the audio, and the origin of Flash is Jay Garrick, and the origin of Green Lantern is Alan Scott. It was, I was like, because you see the cover art image of the Silver Age characters, and you're like, okay, well, I know what I'm in for. And then I, I just started listening to it, and I was like, wait, no, this is... For real? They did a Golden Age, like, Power Records-type origin story? It was so cool. Um, we've had a chance to listen to it. We are going to represent that audio to you here. Uh, it's about 11 minutes long. And then after we come back, Mark and I will discuss it. And then the second part of the episode will be a review of Green Lantern Edge of Oblivion number 6. Um, Which will so... probably be shorter than the Alan Scott origin. <laughs> Probably. So this is this. You're in for a really, really short episode this time, guys. But I think it's a really cool one. Get just getting to listen to this audio. Uh, so we're going to represent that for you guys now. And when we come back, we'll talk about it. The official adventures of the Green Lantern. The weird and exciting adventures of the man who suddenly appears out of nothingness. Whenever and wherever there is a wrong to be righted. The Green Lantern. The origin of the Green Lantern begins years ago, out in the great western plains of the United States, as a train makes a test crossing over a newly constructed trestle bridge. In the cab with his partner is Alan Scott, young engineer in charge of construction. I tell you, Scott, I'm worried. Decker isn't one to take it lying down. He'll try something. He's dangerous. Nonsense, Jimmy. Just because my company's bid to build this bridge was chosen by the government instead of Decker's, there's no reason for revenge. He won't try anything. Suddenly, the tremendous blast of an explosion. The entire bridge topples and falls, plunging the train to total destruction in the valley below. From the wreck rises one staggering figure, Alan Scott. Oh. Oh. They're dead. All dead. Yet, by some miracle, I'm still alive. What? This lantern from the train. What a queer green light. Funny. I feel dizzy. Going to faint. Alan Scott falls unconscious beside the strangely glowing green light from the lantern. And from within the aura of the green flame comes a voice. Listen, chosen one. I am the green flame of life. Green as are the plants. An ageless, toneless voice that penetrates into Scott's subconscious. The growing things. Listen and hear the tale. 
of the Green Lantern. Many years ago, in old China, while the people were at their evening prayers, they suddenly heard a great rushing noise and looked up to see a falling meteor. As the meteor crashed and broke open there in the heart of the shell was a small pool of green, flaming, liquid metal. Hear my message. The flame, it speaks. Three times shall I flame green. It is from the evil one. Listen. First, to bring death. Second, to bring life. Third, to bring power. As the green flame dies out, the metal begins to cool. Chang, the lamp maker, takes the strange metal to his hut. Look, Chang makes a lamp from the fire of the evil one. Our village will suffer should the gods be angry. We must rid ourselves of the old man and the lamp. Death to Chang! Destroy the lamp! Destroy the Green light! Ah! Flames! The first prophecy of the lantern was fulfilled. From then on, the lamp passed through many hands on its travels. Until one day, it appeared in America, outside a mental hospital. Hey, Joe, look at this funny old Chinese lamp somebody threw away. What a queer green color. Yeah. Hey, let's give it old Billings inside. He likes to make lanterns and things, and he can't hurt anybody with it. Taking the old Chinese lamp, the patient Billings worked for days, slowly forming it into a modern train lantern. A lovely green light. <laughs> Three times shall I flame green. <gasps> that voice, the light, what's happening? The second to bring life. I, I, I feel so queer. Where am I? What am I doing here? I should be in my office. The lantern fulfills its second promise, and out of the asylum walks a sane man, miraculously recovered to a new life. And now... Fate brings the lantern next into Alan Scott's hands as the voice speaks to his subconscious. You have heard the tale of the Green Lantern. Now to you, I bring fulfillment of the third prophecy. Power. You must use this power to end evil. The dark evil. Things cannot stand the light of the Green Lantern. It would be well for you to make a part of me into a ring to wear at all times. A ring with my flame to renew its power. The ring must touch the green lantern once every 24 hours. And with these last words, the powerful light fades down to a tiny constant glow as Alan Scott stumbles to his feet once more. Oh, 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 my head. What a mad dream. Or was it a dream? There's the lantern. My buddy. 
When I touch the lamp, it, it glows with energy. I've never felt like this before. Then it was true. Oh, thinking about this lantern made me forget about the wreck. All those men, dead. Why? Oh, Jimmy, you said Decker might try something. I'll get you for this, Decker. I'll kill you. The Green Lantern will help me. Dazed and shocked, Alan Scott staggers away from the wreck with the lantern clutched in his hand. When he finally reaches his cabin, his tortured mind sets his fingers to work. The Green Lantern said to make a ring out of its metal. A ring with the green flame. At last, the ring is completed. The emblem of a mighty scourge of evil. As Alan Scott slips the ring on his finger, cold sanity replaces his crazed look. Why? Why, I must have been mad. I wanted to kill a man. Decker. No, I must fight him another way. The power of the ring. I must try it out. I'd like to. Abruptly, Alan's body streaks through the air with the speed of light, the green light in which it is enveloped. But I wished I could fly to Decker, and I'm doing it. The Green Lantern's power is working. There. Decker's house. Someone's inside. I wonder if I have the power of going through the fourth dimension, right through objects. I'll try it. Like a phantom, Alan Scott's figure begins to fade through the wall out of sight, inside the house. You boys did a sweet job in blowing up the bridge. That'll teach them to fool around with Decker. <laughs> now we're going to make a nice bundle of dough on that deal. Yes, sir. Hey, hey, boss, look. A green light coming through the wall. What is that? There's somebody in the light. It looks like... A ghost! That engineer, Alan Scott. But he's supposed to be dead in the wreck. Fools, he's no ghost. It's a trick. Shoot him. Yeah, this'll fix you. He don't fall. He ain't human. Ah, he must be wearing a bulletproof vest. Use your knife. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't work, did it? <laughs> the knife, it busted. He ain't human. He, he is a ghost. Really? Can a ghost do this? Uh, uh, I'm getting out of here. And now, Decker, it's just you and me. No, no, don't be hasty, Scott. Why, I'm your friend. I, I got plenty of money if you just... Okay, just to show you how much I value our friendship, I'm going to take you outside for a little ride. No, that green light put me down. How do you like the view from up here, Decker? No, no, take me down. Afraid I'm going to drop you? Perhaps I should drop you right over the spot where you wrecked that bridge, where my friends died. No, please, I'll do anything. Take me back. Will you sign a confession, Decker, that you did it? Yes, yes, I'll confess. Anything, just get me down. After obtaining a full confession from Decker, Alan Scott returns home to prepare for a new career. Somehow, I feel as if destiny has taken a hold of my life. That this is only the beginning. That I shall continue to fight against evil. I must make myself a dreaded figure. I must have a costume that is so bizarre that once I am seen, I will never be forgotten. And then, I shall use my power. 
in brightest day, in blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power, Green Lantern's light. guys and we're back what'd you think of that it was certainly dated chad <laughs> <laughs> dude that music <laughs> i was the the, the the music yes but i'm thinking of and this is one of those things if you're doing the script now you could do like a word search to find the number of times you use a word over and over again but they certainly were fond of using the word queer in this <laughs> like three times i think regarding the light <laughs> what a queer light Forget about the that the context now is completely different. It's just the fact that it's, it, they seem to be pretty enamored with that word in general. <laughs> but yeah, the music certainly would help. See, the the music was dated, but to me, it's still like it gave you the feel like it was supposed to. So you know, in, in a way, Alan Scott's origin is kind of dated. In a way, like Hal's is kind of dated. But so it's that didn't bother me so much. So I uh, I have an image on my phone right now. Uh, it's not the clearest, but it shows the back of the album art, and I can just kind of read. Uh, it's it, there's a brief synopsis. It shows a page or a couple of panels from uh, the original uh, All American Comics number sixteen, the first appearance of Alan Scott, and it shows the panel where the uh, meteor f- uh, flames to life and says the first time, you know. Three times I shall flame green, you know, so on and so forth. Those two panels are represented on the back of the album art. And it says, The Green Lantern, a sabotage treasure bridge, sets the fateful course of events that launches the career of the Emerald Crusader. Hear the tale of the Green Lantern from its first appearance uh, in Old China. Hear the awesome three prophecies that came true. Um, but also on the back of the album art, it has some cast information, which I thought was necessary here, in addition to saying that it was Leo the Lion Records uh, in companionship with DC who put this out. It says, cast, Jackson Beck as the narrator, Charita Bauer, Jack Curtis, Zell Desir, Peter Ferdinand, uh, Earl Hammond, Ronald Liss and Gilbert Mack. It was written by Ronald Liss and produced and directed by Herb Gale. Uh, Director of Engineering, Val Valerita, Valentina, something like that. My copy has kind of that one of the letters in there kind of a little blurred out, so I don't know if that's an R and N. Special Effects by Cinema Sound LTD. Special Effects Engineer, uh, Tom uh, Courtenary Clack. And recorded at Regent Sound Studio, New York City, 1967. And just while I'm looking at it, the origin of uh, the Flash on this album—not that nobody care, anybody cares—but uh, it's both Jay and Barry. So Barry is in there, but it, the the audio starts with Jay on that one. But it, we're not focused on that one. So <laughs> for the first thing that got me on this was was the music, man. Uh, <laughs> that was just like. Uh, we're going super way back right now, <laughs> which was odd because the story of Alan Scott is from the 40s, so it's already like a 20, 27-year-old story at this point, but they're using updated music for the times, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess, I, I guess they didn't want to have like uh, too much jazz and flappers coming coming across the, <laughs> coming across the speakers. So I guess it made sense to uh, kind of kind of quote unquote modernize it a tad. <laughs> and speaking of modernizing, they actually left out a couple of things. Um, one of the things they left out was the fact that uh, Decker dies in the original story. And I don't know why they did that. Because in the original story, he's like, you know, Decker, take a last look at the sky, because when I drop you, you won't see anything again ever. And he says, don't, I'll confess, I did it, I'll make good, your company's lost, uh, don't don't drop me, please. And he says, that's it, Decker, nice full confession is good for the soul. I'm signing, I'm signing, oh, dead, the shock was too much for him. He's paid for the lives lost in the wreck. And then that's, but that, that whole part, like, the, the audio obviously t- talks about him, like, scaring him by flying, but then it just ends after that point. It doesn't end with Decker's death, which I thought was odd because, like, I thought, at first I thought, okay, well, what is, what is, are they saying, like, you know, maybe this is going to be listened to by kids and they don't want to do that, but then again, they killed a whole train full of people, so death is already, <laughs> this, death is already a part of this story. So I don't get why they left that out. I don't know. I guess you know why they may maybe they did because th- there was that there was that parallax like part like right after he got the ring when Alan Scott's like freak like freaking out like I want to kill him I want to use the ring to kill him. <laughs> so so maybe they were afraid people were going to take th- they were gonna, he was going to be a little too to the dark side if they, if they even if it was act quote unquote accidental maybe they were afraid maybe it would. Maybe it would make Alan Scott come across in a different light, no pun intended. Or maybe it would make open the door for interpretation whether you know he really killed him on purpose or was an accident. So maybe that's maybe that's why they tried to uh, straighten that straighten that part out or, or alter it. But who knows? Yeah. And another thing is, I don't believe, and I'm looking. Um, I don't believe the lantern ever said anything about. Uh, like that that part of the the last thing it said about uh, no no it does okay so there's a part in here where the and I'm looking at for those listening I'm lift, uh, looking at All American number sixteen there's a panel where Scott is laying in on the ground after you know kind of the lantern is narrating the story of its history it says you who are to have this power you must use it. Uh, to end evil, the light of the Green Lantern must shed over the dark evil things, for the dark evil things cannot stand light. Okay, so that's, I, I thought, for some reason, I thought the Lantern never actually said it. I thought the the, the oath was something Alan made up, but I, I guess I was wrong. I, because at the end of the story, Alan says the current oath. Yes, he does. That was kind of, that, that, was, a, that was a little curveball there. <laughs> And the and the, the current oath was created for it, while Alan was the Green Lantern guys. Like it wasn't something that uh, John Broom and Gil Kane and Julie Schwartz. Uh, it's not something that they made up. That was that was already part of Green Lantern's history, uh, but it just came later in the Alan Scott story. So so it's not like it's completely out of left field to, for Alan to say the current oath. Because it technically originated in his uh, in some of his stories, but I don't know. Because the end of the of All American sixteen ends with him standing there in his new costume, saying 
And I shall shed my light over dark evil, where the dark things cannot stand the light, the light of the Green Lantern. So that was kind of weird. Yeah, I just, yeah, I thought all of, I thought that part was, I definitely thought that part was weird. I, I expected him to be saying his oath, you know, at the end, if you will. But what did, what did you think of the, uh, the voice for the lantern? Oh, the the Asian voice. <laughs> it was, it was, it was heavily Asian, but it was also like super sci-fi. Like they were trying to make it alien sounding, which I get because I guess it, you know, it came from Meteor. And this is the '60s, so you know we're we're the late '60s, so we're well ensconced in this whole like, you know, sci-fi space thing going on. So I mean, that kind of makes sense. But like, I've never thought of like the lantern or the meteor, you know, whatever you want to call it, having like this really, you know, this is the voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like a it's it's part robotic, part alien, part Asian. <laughs> like, it's like what? And that's a combination you don't want to mess with. <laughs> uh, I, for some reason, I, I have to be honest with you. When I heard it, 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 it didn't surprise me. <laughs> I kind of, ex- I don't know. I kind of expected it to be that way. I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe because of uh, the backstory with the lantern. I don't know. I just kind of, it just, or like you said, maybe because I'm so used to things in that time frame. Whether it's like you know the the old Marvel anim- art animated shows and things like that, it's just a little over the top. And but that, you know, that kind of alien, kind of like almost like altered voice to make it in. I don't know. I, I think that I think it was a combination of all those factors. It's just a little, little, little over the top. Obviously, like you said, the sci-fi influence and just I don't know. Maybe that they just thought maybe the, the maybe the, bat, the the lantern should be Asian. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just noticed because I'm flipping through. One other thing they left out is the weakness. Yes, uh, yes, I did notice. I did. I did notice that. Yeah, because they they keep in the fact that they shoot him first. They keep in the fact that they try and stab him, and then they talk about the fact that yeah, he's a ghost. And, and then like Alan's like, "Can a ghost do this?" And you hear this, you know, this... ass ass whooping sound. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hold my coat. Boom. But in, in between those spots in the comics, in between those panels, one of the guys grabs a wooden club and kind of stuns. I don't want to say knocks out, but kind of stuns Alan. And he says, "Curious." He thinks to himself. Curious, lead bullets and steel knives don't get me, but wood does. Guess I'm the um, only immune to metals. So, uh, and then he says, you know, I also seem to possess only my normal strength. So, those aren't things that are said in there. Um, again, I don't know why. I guess maybe maybe just the limits of, uh, of recording three stories on a vinyl. You know, you can only do so much. You only because you only have l- quite literally so much space to put those stories on. But I don't know if it was a double-sided vinyl, and if it was, there's only three stories. So which one is the longest one? Aquaman on one side and Flash and Green Lantern on the other, or was it just a one-sided vinyl? That's true. Because I've never seen one. I've never seen one anywhere other than uh, eBay, and even then they're going for like 40 bucks, and I can't justify spending that much on a record when I don't actually own a record player. Um, so that's cool. But uh, yeah, I just I thought it was I thought it was just so cool because I was super excited when I when when uh, uh, I found out that this thing even existed in the first place, 
And I didn't like read the, cause I'd only seen the front album art and I didn't see the back cover until after I already listened to it. And I was like, when I started listening to it, I was like, Oh, you know, I'm, it's going to sound cool. You know, it's going to, you know, Abin Sir crashing. I wonder what that's going to sound like. I wonder what, you know, Abin's voice, what they're going to do with that. <laughs> this is the... <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, you know what he's going to sound like? He's going to sound Asian. <laughs> that guy's on the payroll. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, it, but, it, you know, it, I started out and it was like, you know, I hear, I hear these, tra- you know, I hear the music and then I hear this train noise and I'm like, wait a second like before they even start speaking you hear that train and you're like hold on are we really going with golden age right now because to my knowledge i don't think any other golden age character has had any involvement whatsoever in the um in the like the power record stuff like i don't know if like maybe you know to dr fate or somebody like show up in a superman story or something because i don't I, don't, I never listened to all of them. There is a uh, there is a Power Records podcast that replays a lot of those that the Fire and Network uh, Fire and Water Network does uh, that Rob Kelly does. So I highly recommend that show uh, to to you know kind of re-listen to all of those audio uh, based dramas. But and I've listened to several of them. But I to my knowledge, I don't remember any Golden Age characters showing up in those stories, even just as like random cameos. Did you listen to a lot of the Power Record stuff growing up? I'm actually looking at some of the things here. Uh, I did have a bunch. Um, I definitely had the Fantastic Four, which was the origin. I had Spider-Man, which was cool because that's the abridged version of the, I think, the introduction of Man-Wolf. I did have the Incredible Hulk one when he fights the Abomination in Rhino. I think... Oh, they have the Curse of the Werewolf one, which I'm assuming must be werewolf, might be Werewolf by Night, but I never had that one. Uh, and I, I'm looking at these. I think I had the Planet of the Apes ones, too. I almost forgot they did Planet of the Apes. I probably, since I was a huge Planet of the Apes guy, probably had all of those Planet of the Apes that they, they did. I don't think I did. I did not have any. I did not have any DC. I did not have any DC. I know that. So I actually, to be perfectly honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if I somewhere out in the living room in the drawer where I have uh, we have some of the old 33s that I probably have these 40 I might have some of these 45s and the and the actual uh, books that came with them so but yeah as a kid they were they were pretty cool they were pretty cool I, I actually I did have a werewolf one because I'm looking at that cover now I recognize it uh, that I still remember it was actually in the room I'm recording in now because it used to be in my mom's room a long time ago that this room uh, she had she had the record player so I just remember putting the headset on and coming in here and sitting sitting in and putting the 45 on and just and just listening to them. Yeah, I believe this one was also a 33. Uh, the the one we're covering right now. Probably because you said there were multiple tracks. Yeah, there were three tracks. Um, uh, and I actually I do own one Power Records record because I actually found it in like a back issue bin for like I think it was like ten bucks or something and I'm like even though I don't have a record player I was like it'd be cool to have one you know uh, it, it's Superman Weatherspoon's Catalyst uh, the the cover shows Superman uh, punching out a bunch of aliens like in a cave or something yep I'm looking at uh, that one now yeah I have I have that one I know for sure I have that one. Um, but I, you know, again, I don't own a record player. I 
something I want to get, but <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Other my, my any extra money I have that could be spent on a record player is going elsewhere. <laughs> and I know, and I know the first thing you're going to be spending it on. <laughs> uh oh, what? Oh, oh no! <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say it. You know, you, you know what I know that you know that what it is. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, that was I, I actually enjoyed it. And what was cool, I, I, just kind of a, as an aside, it, it got me to pull out my archive edition of of the uh, the Golden Age stuff because I have those two volumes, the archive editions. And every time I pull out a hardcover of anything, I always immediately take the slipcover off and just toss it somewhere, <laughs> like because I like I hate reading hardcover books with slipcases on them. Like I, I have to like take the slipcase off read the book, and then when I put the book back on the shelf, then I'll put the slipcase back. But I just can't stand holding, like, two things like that. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> Whatever. But I, it, it just made me realize how cool these archive editions are. Because, like, it's got the embossed, uh, like, engraving of uh, Alan Scott's lantern on the on the cover. And, and the, the, the colors on the inside of this thing is so, are so good. Like, obviously, they're reprints of Golden Age stuff, so... They're crisp, but it's still golden age stuff, so like they're really ink heavy uh, <laughs> uh, pieces of art. Uh, but crisp colors and re- guys, if you have never gone out and purchased the golden age stuff of Green Lantern uh, in the uh, archive edition stuff, you really should. I know those archive editions are pretty expensive, um, but sometimes places will have them like for half off, and you can get two for the price of one or. You know, if in stock trades has them, like or eBay, like just get these things because, to my knowledge, have you ever seen the Golden Age Green Lantern stuff reprinted in anything other than these archives? I don't think so. Yeah, because I know, like, like for instance, I have the uh, the two uh, omnibuy of uh, the Silver Age stuff, but they also did like the Chronicles and the Showcase volumes and like all this other stuff. But I've never seen the golden age green lantern stuff anywhere other than the archive editions. There might've been like maybe like all American 16 reprinted like in a volume of other first appearances. But other than that, I don't think I've ever seen golden age green lantern stuff printed in a, in a trade or a hardcover. No, so. I don't think I have either. All right. Anything else to say about that? It was a good find. It was it was pretty cool. It's too it's really too bad actually that there weren't more that there weren't like official Green Lantern ones back during that time. But again, it see does even though there are some Superman Batman Batman ones, it does seem even back then it seemed there were a lot of Marvel centric power records. It seemed there was a heavy dose of of Marvel of Marvel. So I don't know. Yeah. And and obviously, like I said, some non comic you know obviously they all come with comic books. The the, the real ones did. But it wasn't all just major DC or Marvel because they did pretty much, I think, at least four of the five Planet of the Apes movies. So that was kind of yeah. interesting too. So I want to say I think there might have been some Conan ones too. It could be Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, Pretty hold on, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to see if I can see my the list that I was looking at here. But yeah, they, they could very there could very well have been. There could have been a Conan one. Man thing, um, things, things like that. So. Oh yeah, I remember that one because I, I, I definitely remember listening to that episode of, of you the know Power what? Records podcast. That one's actually really cool. I think, yeah, looking at the cover, 
the Night of the Laughing Dead. I think I I think I might have had that one. That, that one's really cool and actually pretty. I mean, it's not like you know we're, we're all adults and we know that these things are old, but like it's still got a like twinge of scariness to it, even though you're a fully grown adult. Like you're listening to this, going, "This is actually a little creepy." Like it it was really cool because and it was really well done too. So that was because I, I was on Free Comic Book Day this year. I went to Austin Books and Comics down here in Austin, and they were having all of their one of the sales, one of the only sales they were running that day was um, all Marvel Essentials, which is Marvel's version of the showcase, guys. So black and white reprints in really thick volumes uh, for relatively cheap. Um, and, and all of those Marvel Essentials were $5 a piece. And I didn't go crazy because I didn't have you know a whole lot of extra money to spend. I was just kind of hitting things for, uh, for the free, freebies and stuff for free comic book day. Uh, but I did spend five dollars on Marvel Essentials Volume One Man Thing, and I've actually been reading that, and that's those are really underrated stories. So, and if I think if I remember right, I think I got it solely because I listened to that Power Records episode and was like, actually, if this if this Man Thing story is even like halfway based on an existing comic book, I gotta read it. I gotta see what's going on. Yeah, that was the one. That was the one thing about all of these, uh, pretty much all the ones that were based directly on comics. And all they all they essentially did was they abridged them. That's what yeah. they kind of did. I mean, uh, some of these were two issue, like were two issues, and they kind of had to push it into one. Even with flipping the record, flipping the forty five, you still had to you still had to shrink it down. So the like the Amazing Spider Man one, which is. Uh, like I said, it's the first, it's the first two issue, first two issue arc that Man Wolf I think appears in. So that's, and I actually never read the complete. All I remember from that storyline was from the Power Records until they did the Marvel Tales when they, when they, that was the reprint book and they finally got to those issues, and it's like, oh, that, this is the this is the stuff they didn't show or they left out for the record. And the, so like the Hulk one too. So a lot of these were two issue storylines that they kind of compressed, that they kind of compressed into one, so just to make it fit. It was definitely enjoyable, though. Especially, and it, yes. it was. I've said it, you know, three or four times, but it was definitely a treat to not know going in because it just says that I think the name of the track is like the origin of the Green Lantern, and you know, you see how on the front, and you're like, okay, well, I know what I'm in for, and then you just start listening and like, oh, it's Alan for real, <laughs> awesome. So that yeah, was definitely a treat. Um, if there's nothing else to say, Edge of Oblivion. Edge of Oblivion. Yeah, actually, you want to tell people why we're doing it in this episode? Because <laughs> it doesn't really, because it doesn't really fit anywhere at this point. <laughs> Basically, but we're doing it for two reasons. That being reason number one. Reason two is because we know this episode was going to be short anyway, so this won't change. This won't dramatically affect the length of this episode to make it unruly. And also because it, it's just kind of like a, and we, and this is not necessarily. Uh, What's the best? How's how should I pull it delicately? It's not necessarily a referendum on the quality of the book unto itself. It's just the fact that now with Rebirth and having two issues of Green Lanterns every month and two issues of Hal Jordan every month, now that that finally started in July, that we know we're going to have tons of well, a good amount of material to cover every month, whether we do one episode a month on the books or two issues, one devoted to each title. We still had this one issue that kind of always threw, upset the apple cart, and it just never, never really seemed to fit. So we figured we might as well deal with it. 
get it off the plate. Plus, in all honesty, I don't think there's a big. I don't think people are clamoring to hear. There probably were more people that were that were interested in uh, what you call it. Uh, as I just draw a blank, the the thing we didn't want to do for so long, we kept pushing off. The thing we didn't want to do. Yeah, the uh, the thing. J- threshold. Yes, that's it. It's so memorable. It's out of my mind. <laughs> that threshold. The way I think there were more. There were more people, even if just being uh, sadists, who wanted who wanted to hear <laughs> who wanted to hear threshold, than really want to hear the end of Edge of Oblivion, because almost everybody who cares probably has read it, and I think people are going to know what we probably think of it. <laughs> so, that's the that's the rationale. So, with the with the preamble over with. I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is Edge of Oblivion number six, the final issue. Yay! Uh, so t- the issue is titled Last Chance. Tom Taylor is the writer. Breakdown, Scott McDaniel. Jack Herbert, the artist. Hi-Fi colors. Dave Sharp letters. Ethan Van Skyver and Jason Wright cover. Andrew Marino, assistant editor. Mike Cotton, editor. And Eddie Berganza, still group editor. So this issue pretty much picks up where we left off with uh, – We've kind of discovered the the secrets of uh, but Ostris and Dismiss that they're really you know these these hideous tentacled uh, killing machines that are been eating the life of whatever and absorbing the life of what remained in this universe. The Blackest Knights, as they're as they're appropriately labeled. So the Green Lantern Corps is is, is engaged in battle with with the Blackest Knights, trying to save this last city on this and this. That's on this floor, like the last planet, pretty much at this point in this universe. And as this issue begins, like the the uh, as we kind of talked about, that this is probably going to happen right on cue. That the remaining Green Lanterns in who are have been lost in this universe finally have arrived on cue to join in join in the final battle. Uh, they kind of know at this point that they pretty much. Their, their their time is pretty much up. They gotta get they gotta get out of dodge, if they can. But most the most important thing is they gotta make sure that the Blackest Knights do not even have a chance of escaping this this, this dying universe that make their way into ours. So we have a couple of cool scenes with some like new lanterns we've never heard of before, which is kind of kind of sad because they give nice little write-ups about who they are and their background and everything else just just before they get snuffed out. <laughs> But the but the important thing in this is that the that the two lanterns in particular who they give us this background on they die, and the rings go seek they begin seeking sentient replacements instead of, which, all of a sudden it's like uh, when Simon and Simon and John realize at the same time that if the ring is actually going out looking for a replacement instead of going to Mogo it has to detect somehow it has to be detecting their universe. So Simon pretty much follows the two actually the multiple rings at this point because. A lot, of the, a lot of the uh newer greener no pun intended lan- green lanterns are getting snuffed out in the fight with the blackest knights so simon follows follows these three rings in particular he finds them to the terran the yellow terran space which is where they lost badge and Arisia a few issues ago and the rings go in there simon follow, you know follows the follows the rings all based on the idea that some Logically, I'm sure, as we're going to find out, that this rift is which which will or will lead them back to their universe. Uh, <clears throat> the lan- the lanterns continue fight- fighting the Blackest Knights. 
they pretty much at the same time they also lift up the, the last surviving city on this planet and they move it on to Mogo because the idea is if we can put it on to Mogo and we can get everybody pretty much to the rift then maybe they can you know some remnant of this dying universe can survive um, <clears throat> well after they do that you know the Mogo they, they tell you Marniel that you know Mogo is going will protect your people and the cities and you know we can't move through the rift yet because we we have to make sure that you know the blackest knights don't follow us and John's pretty much committed he's willing to more or less potentially sacrifice half the core to ensure that the blackest knights don't follow them essentially half the half the core and Mogo can get out of dodge and the other half will basically do a delay, you know do like a rear guard action a delaying action to prevent uh, the advance of the blackest knights Marniel pretty much tells them that's not necessary that uh Pretty much the Perderon, which is the planet that they're on, pretty much is, you know, will, is, that planet is old, much like Morneal, and they're in, the planet will be willing to make the sacrifice to do what needs to be done to contain and prevent, you know, the Blackest Knights from escaping. So the Green Lanterns, at this point, they pretty much, they pretty much pour on all their energy, they focus on everything that gives them strength, everybody they've ever lost, everyone they miss, and they're able to essentially pound and drag down the, uh, the Blackest Knights into, onto the surface of Perderon, who then pretty much you know, pull, pulls them in, holds them under the surface so they can't escape. And then Mogo and the entire Green Lantern Corps heads into the rift, and everybody fades, fades out as they go into the rift. And that pretty much ended Edge of Oblivion 6. Uh, first thing I want to say is kudos. Is, is, now, is this artist the same guy that we've had after Ethan Van Skyver, or have he had different ones since Ethan? Or has is, is he just been the same guy? I think we've had him. I don't know if he's... I I wish I had the other two issues up here. They're downstairs. I don't entirely know. I do th- I do th- I do think it's one of, the, one of the artists we've had since Ethan left. Well... If it's if if there's been multiple, I've liked the art on most all of these issues after Ethan too. So great job filling in, and I really like the art in this issue. Yes, the edge was the uh, excuse me, the art was really good. Yeah, um, you know we always we're, we're we're like thinking of like the ramifications of this series, like you know of the Green Lantern Corps and fighting Sinestro and like all of this. But what do we think of like? We haven't said anything. What do you think about the ramifications of bringing aliens from another universe into our universe? That is true. That is something that, in all honesty, before I reread this issue, I kind of, I kind of completely forgot about that narrative. <laughs> I kind of completely forgot that uh, that was, if you will, the uh, the change. That was if there if there was a change in what they were doing. That uh, if they if they were altering the past. Or the way things went, somehow this might be the way that they're doing it. I think it's uh, Scott McDaniel did do the layouts in the last issue. Okay. Uh, it will be interesting. I don't know. It. it well, you could. Well, if the old Guardians were around. You could definitely see them get, rip it into the Green Lanterns for making that kind of move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think it's cool. It kind of reminds me like of a mosaic kind of like thing. So I think that's kind. Of, it's cool. So Do you think was, they'll stay on Mogo? I don't know. I think there's a very good chance that they won't. I think maybe that's going to be temporary until maybe 
when the dust settles and the core will find them a planet that is basically inhabitable that and that suits their needs i don't know i think i think it, it does open a lot it does open a lot of doors i think it so that i think that part i think that part could be interesting i i would have been nice to to find out about uh Krona and relic more than that but <laughs> yeah i just think well we're never going to get an answer on that we're going to have to talk to colin um and, and figure that out um yeah I, you know, I will. It's. I think the problems we have with the series are the things it didn't do. Yes. Not the. Not not what it actually was. I think overall, like especially looking through this issue, there's great shots of the Green Lantern Corps in action, uh, as a core, not just as individuals. Especially in this issue. I mean, that helps that the other cores actually, sh- you know, the rest of the core actually shows up finally. But I think it's actually not these six issues. I wouldn't say. No offense, Cullen, but I don't think Lost Army is a good Green Lantern core story. Um, eh, maybe. Uh, but this is definitely a better Green Lantern core story. Let's put it that way. Uh, good. Because you got Kilowog and 2-6 and this empath thing. You got John Guy. I mean, I know that those are kind of like our usual cast of characters, but it's still, you know, you you had um, oh that stuff with Iolande. Uh, uh, what was it last issue before? With the father. Uh, yeah, and and you got that, and she shows up, and she's the one who kind of gives the the speech of you know, all right, Green Lanterns who have just joined us basically is what she. <laughs> For those of you just tuning in, <laughs> she's basically saying we're no longer fighting for our survival. This universe is done. You know, we're done. We're just fighting to make sure that these things come with us, that that they're going down with us. They're not going to cross into this other universe. Um, now I know it's a small part, but it's something that she does. And then uh, who's the guy with the face tattoo? What was his name again? Uh, which guy with the face tattoo? Oh, you the mean orange- the Graf? Yeah, graph. There okay. you go. That's what threw me off because, yeah, I mean it's like, it is accurate. I'm I I wasn't thinking Lost Lantern for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so I mean graph is in here and in the you know Salak has had a relatively active role throughout this story. Um, you know Simon's got a little bit more going on the past couple of issues. Um, you know you see some other lanterns. You know they just to get killed off, but some other lanterns that you haven't seen before. Um, you know, stuff like that. And I just think it's, I think it's a, a pretty good Green Lantern core story. Yeah, I, it's a, it's a good story. I think you are absolutely correct. The weaknesses in the story are what it isn't. And that's not, and you can't even blame Taylor for that because we know this, this kind of was this whole creation of this edge of oblivion part, the six part series was kind of cloak and daggerish. And not really done well on any level. It kind of was a disservice. It was a disservice to Colin the way they did it. It was a disservice to, to this creative team how it was done, and because it prevented any kind of cohesion. Yeah. And that's a problem. I mean, they would have. I. This is a. You. You are correct. This is a good core story, but I think it's ultimately an extremely forgettable story. And that doesn't mean because there won't be repercussions from the story. And I don't mean just because of the city that they brought back. I mean, who knows? We'll probably see the Blackest Nights again at some point. But I was, 
I was more interested in the story Cullen was telling. Let's move the flashbacks aside. I was more interested in the story Cullen was telling, and I think that would have had a bigger payoff and probably a more important payoff going forward than this yeah. is going to. And yes, we, certainly if we do get to, you know, we get to reschedule Cullen and we get to talk to him, at least we know we, we should be able to find out what he was going to do. But yeah. you know how he saw this, how he saw the story playing out. Uh, I still think I think at the very least, as we've discussed, I think before, I think we will get an answer as in who brought them there because I think you have to find out who took them off the playing field. That's important. We may find out what Krona's thing is, but that's probably not going to be until they bring Krona back. Maybe the next time Krona comes back, they'll somehow tie it into his time in the other universe, and we'll get some backstory. And Relic, who the hell knows? I mean, I, I, it was just a missed opportunity. I think, I think, to not bridge those two stories together, at least towards the end of the Edge of Oblivion, was a, was a, and we kind of knew it was going to. I mean, you and I talked yeah. about it. I think we both knew after the first two issues didn't touch at all upon anything that happened in the other issues. That the first six issue miniseries, I think we both really deep down knew we were not going to get anything that was going to, yeah. especially because they didn't deal with the colors. I mean, that's the thing. That that's how you know that's how that series ended off with all the, the lanterns suddenly changing colors and 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 the power pyramids and all that crap gets thrown out the window. And I and to me that was more interesting stuff. There may have been better characterization in Edge of Oblivion, mm-hmm. but I think the story that was being told was was a more interesting story and and Lost Army. Yeah, um, you know, I, I DC is gaining a little bit of faith back with me and in good favor and everything with a uh, with a rebirth initiative and the stories I'm reading there. But I'm just jaded enough still to kind of think that DC is going to no prize it, and and I think seriously they're going to explain the Green Lanterns being taken off the playing field by tying it into the whole Watchmen thing. I would not be surprised if that ends up being the explanation. They could do that, and I and I'm as you were saying it, I was mulling it in my mind. It wouldn't even be the more, the most horrible explanation. The only thing they grew up become shaky about that, and again, I'm sure they could explain it away somehow, is that Sinestro and Lissa knew this was going to happen before it happened. Mm-hmm. So the question is how they would know that if this is like some matching machination or machination of Dr. Manhattan or, or whatever, or even if it isn't Dr. Manhattan doing it, even if it's still Ozymandias pulling the strings somehow. And, you know, we'll, we'll, so I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I could, it, it certainly is an explanation they could, they could do. And he certainly, based on what we've seen, he certainly would have the power to do that. You know, if he can basically yeah. steal 10 years from the DCU and do what he did, and especially how this ties into whoever the new super, you know, who Superman is. As they keep, as we talked about, how you know the Superman, the you know post the uh, pre New Fifty Two Superman or whatever isn't supposed, to, you know, is not what he's, is, and he and his family aren't what they appear to be or they think they are, or whatever. Yeah. That if that relates to Doctor Manhattan himself and things like that, obviously he would have the power to just pull the Green Lantern Corps and send them to a, you know a, a pre, you know, the previous universe. That wouldn't seemingly that would be like pretty easy to do. So. Yeah. But that's the. But that's the thing we're gonna. I think we of all the things that you want to check, put the check mark in the box next to that. We'll probably will find an answer to. Certainly find an answer to quicker. I think we'll find that answer will be quicker. As in, who who took them who took them out of the universe, 
It will be longer, yes. If 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 your if your thinking is correct, if it has to do with uh, stuff related to Watchmen, then yeah, then then we then we won't get an answer anytime soon. But I still, but that's the one that's probably the safest bet that we'll get an answer to. Yeah. All right. Anything else about this issue? No. I mean, for what it was, it was good, and you you kind of you kind of knew. I mean, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of surprises in this issue because they just had to get. They had to get to a certain place. You know, they had to put the chess pieces on the board in the right place, so now, so Robert pretty much could pick up and use them in, in Green Lantern Corps. So now we'll now we'll see how uh, how that plays out. All right, you want to do the closing? I will do the closing. If you'd like to email us, lanterncast at gmail.com. Please visit our website, lanterncast.com. You can get it. Uh, access our latest episodes, our archived episodes, Ring Cyclopedia uh, episodes are there, blogs, Dark Star reviews. We've got a lot of cool stuff. There'll be more coming. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us on any of those. iTunes and Stitcher, we are on both. So, whichever platform you listen to us on, or, you, or both if you happen to, uh, please leave us positive reviews. They're always appreciated. Last but not least, the voicemail, 708-Lantern, 708-Lantern. Let us know what you think about this issue, what this episode, this issue, the issue and the record that we reviewed, and any other topic you're interested in hearing about, or anything you, any of your thoughts on our previous episodes. So. Yeah, I'd like to hear back from you guys about the record. I mean, if you guys, if you're older fans and you grew up with it, maybe you actually had one of these. Uh, it seems like they're relatively hard to find, so I don't know how well, how wide the distribution was, or if it was widely printed or or what. But um, you know, if if you guys remember this, or it jogs a memory, or you have one, or you know, whatever, whatever you you know, or you just listen to it for the first time and you have a couple of thoughts, just definitely let us know. I think it's something cool that we can talk about. <gasps> And I resisted yawning when you did. <laughs> that was more uh, of a mini hiccup. <laughs> uh, okay. Either way, I resisted. It sounded like it yawns. So I was like halfway through. I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to – my will is strong. Uh, it would have been cool in a way if we had a, had like a little comic book to go with it just to, to match it up. But it just as an as its own – it stands well on its own. Te- te- it, technically, we do have a comic book to go yeah, with it. Yeah, I know. But I mean literally. I mean <laughs> – because the comic book, you know, read ver- it was verbatim matching what, what you were yeah. <laughs> what you were hearing match what you were reading. But I think now that we did this episode, I'm going to be curious. Over the weekend, I think I'm going to go look to see if I actually still have any of these. <laughs> Probably won't right. be worth money too, because even though they're not, you know, they're obviously been opened and used. But who knows? <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.